0: Start the countdown from five, five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Small Business Commission meeting on August 28th, 2023. The meeting's being called to order at 4.30 p.m. This meeting's being held in person in City Hall Room 400 and broadcast live on SFGov TV and available to view online or listen to by calling 415-655-0001. The Small Business Commission thanks Media Services and SFGovTV for televising the meeting, which can be viewed on SFGovTV2 or live-streamed at sfgovtv.org. We welcome the public's participation during public comment periods. There will be an opportunity for general public comment at the end of the meeting, and there will be an opportunity to comment on each discussion or action item on the agenda. For each item, the commission will take public comment first from people attending the meeting in person and then from people attending the meeting remotely. Members of the public who will be calling in, the number's 415-655-0001. The access code is 2661-462-0771, followed by password 7221. Press pound and then pound again to be added to the line. When connected, you will be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up, dial star three to be added to the speaker line. If you dial star three before public comment is called, you'll be added to the queue. When it is your time to speak, you'll be prompted to do so. Public comment during the meeting is limited to three minutes per speaker. An alarm will sound once the time has finished. Speakers are requested, but not required to state their names. SFGovTV, please show the Office of Small Business slide.
1: Today we will begin Today, we will begin with a reminder that the Small Business Commission is the official public forum to voice your opinions and concerns about policies that affect the economic vitality of small businesses in San Francisco. Before Item 1 is called, I'd like to start by thanking Media Services and SFGov TV for coordinating this virtual hearing and helping to run the meeting. Please call Item 1.
0: Item 1, roll call. Commissioner Carter is absent. Commissioner Dickerson? Present. Commissioner Gregory? Present. Commissioner Herbert? Present. President Huey? Present. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena?
2: Here.
1: And Vice and President Cezunas is absent. President, you have quorum. Thank you. The San Francisco Small Business Commission and Office of Small Business Staff acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatu Shaloni, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula as the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions the Ramatush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory as guests we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland we wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors elders and relatives of the Ramatush Ohlone community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Please call item number two.
0: Item two, approval of legacy business registry applications and resolutions. This is a discussion and action item. The Commission will discuss and possibly take action to approve legacy business registry applications. Presenting today is Richard Carrillo, legacy business program manager with the Office of Small Business.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for coming today.
3: Good afternoon, President Huey, commissioners, city staff, members of the public. I'm Richard Carrillo, Legacy Business Program Manager. I would like to acknowledge Michelle Reynolds, my colleague in the Office of Small Business, who assists with the processing of Legacy Business Registry applications. SFGovTV, I have a PowerPoint presentation. Before you today are four applications for your consideration for the Legacy Business Registry. Each application includes a staff report, a draft resolution, the application itself, and documents from the planning department. The applications were submitted to planning on July 19th and heard by the Historic Preservation Commission on August 16th. Item 2A is the Irish bank bar and restaurant. The business is an Irish pub open in 1996 and nestled in its own alleyway In Union Square at the edge of the Financial District. The Irish Bank bar and restaurant is a destination for tourists and locals alike with an outdoor patio that graces an entire alleyway. The facade has traditional whitewash cottage appearance adorned with brass plaques hanging flower baskets and a 19th century water pump creating an impression of a rural tavern. The interior includes antiques, photographs, historical documents, antique mirrors, church pews, a confessional, and other memorable items, creating a very warm and intimate decor. The Irish bank sells great Irish food and drinks, and it is an excellent place for people to come and watch both European and local sports. Although the business is not yet 30 years old, it has contributed to the history and identity of Union Square in San Francisco, and if not included in the registry, would face a significant risk of displacement. The core feature tradition the business must maintain to remain on the legacy business registry is bar. Item 2B is Mario's Bohemian Cigar Store Cafe. The business is a cafe that was founded in 1971 when Italian immigrants Mario and Liliana Crismani bought a smoke shop called Bohemian Cigar Store. Mario's Bohemian Cigar Store Cafe today is a third-generation establishment, offering amazing food, great service, and a cozy atmosphere where everyone feels at home. Their delicious oven-baked sandwiches are served on focaccia bread from nearby Liguria Bakery, and their espresso is made from beans from Graffio coffee down the street. Mario stopped selling cigars in 1992 when San Francisco passed the law that bans tobacco products from being sold with food but they kept the historic name to represent their rich legacy. The core featured tradition the business must maintain is restaurant featuring Italian cuisine. Item 2C is Mitchell's ice cream. The business is an ice cream shop founded in 1953 and a treasured San Francisco landmark. Mitchell's ice cream owned and operated by the Mitchell family for its entire history, serves award-winning ice cream in 40 flavors, vegan ice cream, sorbets, sundaes, milkshakes, ice cream sandwiches, and ice cream cakes. Their ice cream is made fresh in the store every day using 16% butterfat from milk that comes from hormone-free cows that graze in open pastures. They use the finest ingredients from local sources from around the country and from around the world. Mitchell's ice cream is committed to making the best super-premium ice cream and providing the best service to their customers. The core feature tradition the business must maintain is ice cream store. Item 2D is San Francisco Go Club. The organization is the oldest continuously operating Go Club in the United States, founded by Japanese enthusiasts in 1931. It was officially incorporated with the California Secretary of State on October 4, 1982. San Francisco Go Club is is an integral part of the Asian community of San Francisco and is currently located in the Japan Center Mall. The club is a place for casual play, weekly lessons and tournaments, and people of all ages can be seen at the boards. Members are eager to teach and show the wonders of this mysterious game to the many tourists and passersby. The core feature tradition the business must maintain is promotion of Go. All four businesses met the three criteria required for listing on the Legacy Business Registry, and all four received a positive recommendation from the Historic Preservation Commission. Legacy Business Program staff recommends adding the businesses to the registry and has drafted four resolutions for your consideration. A motion in support of the businesses should be framed as a motion in favor of the resolutions. Thank you. This concludes my presentation. I'm happy to answer any questions. There are business representatives in the room and possibly online who would like to speak on behalf of the application during public comment.
1: Great. Thank you so much. Um, commissioners, any questions yet at this point? No. Okay. Let's, uh, go ahead and open it up for public comment.
0: If public commenters want to line up here, um, near the TVs, you can just come forward and stand at the mic.
4: Good afternoon, Commissioners. My name is Ronan O'Neill, and I am the owner of the Irish Bank Bar and Restaurant. Thank you for this honour and fantastic opportunity to hopefully join a list of great legacy businesses already in San Francisco. And thanks to Rick at the Legacy Business Programme for all the hard work and help with this application. The Irish Bank is located in Union Square, at the border of the Financial District. Unfortunately, we are at risk of displacement due to the record low number of pedestrians and foot traffic in the area since since the COVID pandemic. I moved to San Francisco from Ireland 29 years ago, and for over 27 of those years, I've spent working at the Irish Bank. Nine as an employee and 18 as an owner. We've seen a lot of ups and downs over those years. More ups and downs, thankfully, but the years since 2020 have definitely been the hardest. If you take a two or three block radius from the bank, approximately 80 to 90 businesses have shut down in the last two two or three years. Buildings are locked and boarded up with no sign of reopening. We are fighting and working very hard for that not to happen to us. Getting listed on the Legacy Business Registry would help us stay in business by providing the Irish Bank with recognition, business assistance and access to the Rent Stabilisation Grant. Your recommendation is very much appreciated. Thank you.
1: Thank you.
5: Hello, I am Matthew Barkus, and I stand before the Small Business Commission today as a proud representative of the San Francisco Go Club Uh, with the utmost respect and appreciation. We're honored to have our application for legacy business presented today, and I would like to extend a heartfelt thank you to Rick and the dedicated legacy business team at the city for their invaluable assistance in navigating this process. The San Francisco GO Club holds a de- distinguished place in American history as the oldest GO Club, uh, its origins deeply rooted in the aspirations of Japanese immigrants who established it within the vibrant heart of Japantown almost a century ago. As custodians of this cherished legacy, we acknowledge the challenges and trials that have tested our club's resilience throughout story journey. Through the decades, the club has persevered and has served as a bridge between cultures, a meeting ground where generations gather to learn, play, and connect. The legacy of the San Francisco Go Club is not solely defined by its longevity, but uh, by the profound impact it has had on countless lives. It has nurtured friendships, sharpened minds, and ignited a passion for the intricate beauty of the game of Go. As we reflect upon our journey, we are reminded that our story embodies resilience, community, and the unwavering dedication of those who have upheld this cherished institution. As we seek legacy business status, we humbly request the Commission's recognition uh, of the enduring cultural significance of the San Francisco GO! Club. Granting this distinction would not only honor our past, but also pave the way for a future where the club continues to inspire, educate, and enrich the lives of all those who enter its doors. Thank you for your time and thoughtful consideration.
1: Thank you.
6: Good afternoon, Commissioners, and thank you uh, for considering the San Francisco GO! Club uh, for legacy status. I, joined, uh, I moved to San Francisco from Detroit, Michigan in 1974, and in 1975, I had the great fortune to uh, discover the San Francisco GO! Club. Um, the San Francisco GO! Club, uh, as you've heard, was founded by uh, Japanese Americans. However, it's the most culturally diverse Go club in the world. In every other place where Go has immigrated and come from its uh, home countries of China, Korea, Japan, Taiwan, um, there's a Chinese club, a Japanese club, uh, a Korean club, and a dominant culture club. But in San Francisco, uh, the leader of the club at the time um, who's now passed away and left us with his legacy, uh, was able to bring everybody together in one place. And that was to my great fortune, to find so much cultural richness in that one place and start learning about the wonderful things that East Asia had to offer me as a young American working in Silicon Valley. And subsequently, I had the great uh, pleasure in 1989 to be part of the US uh, friendship team that toured South Korea, um, playing different teams in uh, South Korea, and ultimately doing my doctorate in psychology on go. There have been about 17 or 18 doctorates that have been on go, mostly, and all of the other ones were in math and artificial intelligence. But mine was uh, in psychology, and it was about understanding East Asian philosophy and philosophical principles uh, using the game. So <clears throat> the we're really grateful for you making this consideration. And it really means a lot to the GO Club. And we've the young people who are running the GO Club now have done a great job in bringing it back into Japan town and even deeper in by putting it in the Japantown Mall, where we're really working hard to uh, spread it to young children in the area, in the Bay Area. So thank you very much. And uh, we look forward to uh, working with you in the legacy status.
1: Thank you. Any other public comment? Anybody on the line? There are no commenters on the line. Well, Seeing that no public, no other, um, public comment in the room or on the line. Um, public comment is closed. Commissioners, any questions? Uh, commissioner Ortiz Cartagena.
2: No, I appreciate everybody here, their time, your contribution to San Francisco. Um, last, last week was my birthday and on the way to to the office, one of my colleagues said, let's go to Mitchell's, get some ice cream. And we went to go to Mitchell's and we got some ice cream. So that's how important you are in San Franciscans' day-to-day life. So I just appreciate everything y'all do here for the city and, and for your commitment and congratulations.
1: Commissioner Dickerson. It's always
7: a great up op- it's an, I love the opportunity to be able to say thank you for your hard work your long hours your contribution to the city um, I, I always love to make it a point that if it had not been for you and your diligence and your perseverance and your vision for a better city I don't think many of us would be able to have the experiences Yes, I am U3 fit, but I eat Mitchell's ice cream. So don't judge me. (laughs) I won't judge you. (laughs) But I just want to say thank you. Thank you. I love to hear the um, culturally diverse um, go club. It always warms my heart um, to see um, how enrichment culture can be, regardless of where it's at. I think it's the unification that it brings that... um, It brings the value and so again to each and every one of the businesses. I just want to say thank you Thank you. Thank you for you all are very great examples of small businesses that are arising today and so um, Keep shining Thank you
1: Commissioner Herbert
8: Hi, yeah, I want to I want to echo what Commissioner Dickerson said, small businesses like yours are what make San Francisco special. So please keep persevering through the ups and downs. Um, I think I have been to every one of these except the Go Club, and now I have to like, check out what Go is all about. <laughs> um, we serve Mitchell's ice cream at our, our at my business, and of course, love Mitchell's ice cream, thank you. Um, for being around. It's the best ice cream in San Francisco. And um, the bank is awesome. Mario's Bohemian Cigar Store is like a must, you know, go to. And uh, I'm just proud to be part of the business community and and be right there with all of you guys because it's super important, especially right now, that we are uh, providing our services to the residents of San Francisco and making life interesting and rich and good. So thank you, and um, I would approve all of these legacy businesses.
1: (laughs) Oh, I just turned off my mic. Um, Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Rick, for bringing forth such a amazing um, group of legacy or to be legacy businesses. Um, it's interesting because they always kind of seem to curate around certain themes, and I feel I don't know if you do that intentionally, <laughs> but I feel like you know all of these businesses are really fun, really highlight you know the diversity I think in in just activities and and kind of like how how passion kind of like shows through in people's businesses and people's endeavors. Um, I took a picture of the Mitchell's certificate as I was signing it earlier because uh, that's going to make me really famous like at my house. My, my family's going to be like, oh, you finally made it. <laughs> um, they're super stoked about Mitchell's. So I think, you know, hopefully everybody here will celebrate with a scoop later. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for... All of that, all that you do on behalf of like just our commission, I think we um, we really appreciate how much effort and how much heart you put into your businesses every day. And your your, you know, these are not just jobs; these are really things that encompass your entire lives. I'm sure. And not just your lives, but the lives of your family and friends as well. So, I mean, we can definitely appreciate how it's a whole ecosystem that you live in. And you took the time to come out here tonight to celebrate yourself. So, thank you very much for um, your time tonight. And, um, yeah, I think we're ready to take a vote. Let's see. Let's see what happens. (laughs) Does somebody want to make a motion to... I'll make a motion
7: to pass. Oh, I'll make a motion for the legacy businesses. I,
8: I second that motion.
0: Motion to approve the applications by Commissioner Dickerson, seconded by Commissioner Herbert. I'll read the roll. Commissioner Carter's absent. Commissioner Dickerson? Yes. Commissioner Gregory? Yes. Commissioner Herbert? Yes. President Huey? Yes. And Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena? Yes. Com- uh, Commissioner Zuzunas is Absent, motion passes. Congratulations.
1: Congratulations.
0: (laughs) Item three, presentation on business tax implications of remote work. This is a discussion item. The commission will learn how the city's business tax system is being challenged by recent trends toward remote work. The several taxes that the city imposes on businesses, including the gross receipts tax, the homelessness gross receipts tax, the commercial rents tax, and the overpaid executives tax, comprise the city's largest, second largest source of tax revenue after property tax. Presenting today, we have Ted Egan, chief economist with the Office of the Controller, and Sarah Dennis-Phillips, director of OEWD.
1: Thank you so much, director, for coming today.
9: Commissioner Sarah Dennis Phillips, Executive Director of OEWD, great to see you again. Before I even launch into this issue, I just want to note that we gave last week, uh, we had a number of exciting things happen last week, including the opening of IKEA, the launch of our Vacant to Vibrant program with small business starts, and the six-month update on our roadmap to San Francisco's future, which was the mayor's map to recovery. And I just want to note, and I'll make sure Katie and Carrie get to you, that we we did a, a presentation, you know, that we put out a press release on about all the achievements that we've made in the last six months since the, the publication of that roadmap. And one of our biggest successes, and you'll see in that two-pager, was in our small business sector. How many small business starts we've seen, how many new businesses are growing and expanding in San Francisco. So I just want to make sure that you all know that the work you're doing is such a fundamental component of that other work that we came and talked to you about, and it continues to be frankly, one of the areas, um, despite the challenges that we'll all continue to work on, where the city is succeeding and we're getting positive press, and, and, and people know that that is an area where um, San Francisco is on the upswing. So thank you for your work. But um, business taxes. So I'm just here to give an introduction to Ted and give you a little background on the process. Um, our business tax system, as you know, does a lot of things. It it funds the city um, and our, all of our services, many of which businesses, including small businesses, rely on whether that's transit, affordable housing, and frankly, the great grants um, and programs that OEWD provides. It also has an impact on business, right? Um, How our businesses function, the complexity of doing business here, um, whether they can afford to stay here. And so those are are things we need to weigh as we look at our system. We find ourselves in a situation post-pandemic where we have an opportunity to make sure that our business tax system is sustainable to the extent that we can continue to have a city that works and is not subject to fluctuations year in year that puts critical services at risk Um, and also supportive of the factors that our businesses need to be able to stay and grow here. And so those are a lot of that's a lot of tall orders, and so Ted is not going to have an answers for you today. Um, but the controller's office is first off leading the work to understand the risks we face, given the complex tax system and the way it's built right now. And Ted Ted is here to kind of go over those for you. Um, that Introduction that you'll hear from Ted tonight will lead into um, what will be a longer process and and he'll highlight that at the end of his presentation, um, not just to understand the tax system that we have and the risks and benefits of it, but to make changes and recommendations to that to create a more sustainable fair um, and long term balanced system. we you know it's the controller's job to explain what is going on and to put out their options for balancing that system it is our job oewd's job to make sure that you here as a small business commission and all of the small businesses you represent and the other businesses in the city are one aware of that process two are engaged in that process including to whatever extent makes the most sense for individual businesses there'll be a series of workshops and Any business that wants to be a part of those directly can be involved. Any business that wants to stay more apprised, we will make sure we create outreach summaries for people to stay apprised. And then three, that we, and this is where we differ from the controller's office, advocate on businesses' behalf. Um, And that's our job as part of economic development. So um, with that, I'll turn it over to Ted, and I'm happy to answer questions at the end as well.
10: Oh, great. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Ted Egan. I'm the chief economist in the controller's office. And Carrie is just setting up my laptop, and then we'll be ready to go on with the presentation. Um, I think everyone knows that uh, San Francisco suffered a major economic shock in the COVID pandemic. And while we are on the process of recovering, and in some ways we've surpassed where we were before the pandemic, there are some aspects of the city's economy that have not recovered and may take some time to recover uh, or may be in for permanent change and one of those is in the way office space is used in san francisco Uh, offices of course were covered by the shelter-in-place order and people were prohibited from coming downtown to offices but what we found in san francisco and really across the united states is that when those public health controls were lifted and people were able to go back to the offices they didn't they didn't go back at the same level so On a typical day in san francisco there's 45 to 55 percent of the foot traffic or attendance at office buildings that we would have seen before the pandemic and that is not an only in san francisco phenomenon you see that in cities across the country it means a lot for san francisco's economy in a number of ways and you know i've presented at this commission and elsewhere at the city about what it means for small businesses or what it means for the city's property tax what it means for transit Our office, along with the Treasurer's office, was asked by Supervisor Raphael Mandelman last year about what does it mean for business tax? As Sarah said, the business taxes, which we would call the gross receipts tax, homelessness gross receipts tax, overpaid executive tax, commercial rent tax, collectively that's about $1.5 billion a year of general fund revenue. directly or indirectly, it's affected by how much people use offices and how much people are physically working in San Francisco. So we were asked to assess what are the risks to this revenue stream by this tendency for people to work at home and not come into the office. And so I'd like to share the results of this report, which we issued last month. And as Sarah said, this is going to kick off a process that will have internal work by our offices as well as outreach with with businesses and other affected stakeholders in the city. Um, Really, we found three things before I got into the details. Um, The first is that over the past 20 years, San Francisco's business tax revenue has become increasingly concentrated in exactly the industries that are most hit by remote work. I'll show you a slide in a few minutes that three industries in the city, information, professional services, financial services, make up about 70% of our business tax revenue. Those industries are number one, two, and three on the list of which industries are mostly doing remote work. So this trend to remote work is sort of directly hitting the core of our business tax base. There are also important connections between how much people are working in San Francisco and how much they owe us. When people are, office workers are working from home and they don't live in San Francisco, their business owes us less business tax. And we have estimated in our report that were it not for the remote work that we saw during the pandemic, the city would have had close to $500 million more in business tax revenue in 2021 than we would have in in 20, uh, than we would have if we had not had that tendency to remote work. Um, So it's got a powerful impact on on our, um, our finances, remote work. Secondly, the city's business tax system has an overall tax system has evolved in the last 20 years in a way that makes it increasingly concentrated on commercial ac- property and activities related to commercial property. So we, have for example, had several increases in the transfer tax rate, all of which target large commercial properties. So that by 2020, voters approved uh, a doubling of the tax increase on large commercial properties to now 6%. Those are mainly commercial properties. When commercial properties are growing in value, that is, a, if you like, a good thing for the city to bet on. Unfortunately, because of remote work, we're seeing weakness in commercial property values, and that weakness may be permanent. Last year, our office did a report on our weakness in commercial property tax, which is a totally different tax. Um, so, but, but in the world of what we would call business tax, we have a big reliance on transfer tax that's heavily reliant on commercial property, and we also have a commercial rent tax that is directly proportional to how much people pay in rent. When there's less demand for offices, office buildings either aren't selling or they're going to sell for much less, so transfer tax is reduced, and commercial rents we expect to be weak for the foreseeable future, and so there's going to be weakness, and that revenue stream, that funds... Uh, early childhood care and education programs, so our reliance on commercial property as a kind of a golden goose to fund tax revenue is at risk in this world of remote work. And then, likely, uh, we have a third risk, and that's a risk related to volatility because of tax policy changes in the city, and also which have basically increased the number of taxes that are aimed at the very largest businesses in town and also because the largest businesses in town have grown a lot more than other businesses. As a result of those two factors, we now have a very large percentage of our business tax revenue coming from a handful of companies. As I'll say in a moment, 24% of our 1.5 billion in business tax revenue comes from five companies. That is considerably more than what it was, say, when I joined the city 16 years ago. It's a lot bigger tax revenue pie, but it's a lot more concentrated. In an era of remote work, where large office employers are reducing their office space, they're looking to consolidate their office space, when we look at San Francisco's competitiveness and the tax burden you would face in San Francisco compared to other alternative locations in the Bay Area, we do not fare well. And so in an era where businesses are retrenching their office needs, we feel that there's a greater than normal risk that that businesses will basically consolidate outside of the city uh, and potentially save a lot on taxes, and that's a source of volatility for us. Um, So those are the highlights. I think I've told most of the the conclusions I want to tell you, so I'll walk relatively quickly uh, through the rest of the slides, and then I'm happy to answer your questions. Um, First, a bit of background on the city's economy. A big part of why the city's business taxes are so big is because the city has had so much economic growth the past 20 years. That growth has really been fueled by the tech industry, um, which is now close to half of the GDP in San Francisco, up from you know, perhaps 10% 20 years ago. Uh, the tech industry's GDP has grown three times the rate of the rest of the city put together. The rest of the city put together has still grown pretty fast, but the tech industry has definitely led growth. And that has had implications for tax revenue. This is a chart showing per capita tax revenue across all taxes in San Francisco since fiscal year 1999. And really, the story there is when you adjust for the city's population growth and for inflation, tax revenue has more than doubled in that 20-year period. Um, THE COLORED uh, SORT OF BARS ON TOP INDICATE THE REVENUE THAT COMES FROM NEW TAXES, SO WE HAD A LOT OF REVENUE GROWTH FROM TAXES THAT EXISTED uh, BEFORE 2008, BUT STARTING IN 2008, WE BEGAN TO ADD MANY NEW TAXES, AND THOSE HAVE ALSO uh, CONTRIBUTED TO REVENUE GROWTH, um, SO THE CITY HAS SEEN A LOT OF ECONOMIC GROWTH, THAT GROWTH HAS CONTINUED THROUGH 22, notwithstanding THE PANDEMIC, OUR TAX REVENUE IN FISCAL 22 WAS AT AN ALL-TIME HIGH although partly that was due to new taxes and tax rate increases, not just economic growth. I mentioned the heavy concentration in office industries, information, financial services, professional services account for about 70% of our business tax revenue. This is a chart showing the effect of remote work on the office market in various office markets across the country. San Francisco is notable for having one of the highest office vacancy rates in the country, which is a complete 180 from where we were before the pandemic when we had the lowest vacancy rate in the country. Uh, By this chart, which I think is taken from the middle of last year, uh, our office vacancy rate was around 26 percent. It's gone up a little bit since then. But it's notable that the East Bay, the Peninsula, Santa Clara County, Uh, have much lower vacancy rates, despite the fact that they're in the same region and also have a tech-dominated office market. So there is something about San Francisco that is leading to higher vacancy rates, and that creates a challenge for us as we try to fill those buildings or our business tax creates a challenge. This is some detail on the point about business concentration that I talked about. It basically shows how much... um, different sizes of companies pay collectively for our business tax and how that's changed. So in 2012, the top five businesses paid 30 million together. That was 7% of the total. And the top 10 paid 48 million or 12% of the total. By 2022, with all of the growth in the new taxes, the top five pay 339 million, which is 24%. And the top 10 pay 441 million, which is 31% of the total. THE POINT HERE IS IF THOSE 10 BUSINESSES DECIDE TO LEAVE OR HAVE A BAD YEAR, uh, IT HAS A VERY disproportionate EFFECT ON OUR FINANCES. I MEAN, THESE 10 BUSINESSES WILL FUND AN ENTIRE CITY DEPARTMENT, FOR EXAMPLE. SO WE'LL HAVE TO FIND THE MONEY FROM ELSEWHERE IF THERE'S AN ADVERSE REACTION BY THESE BUSINESSES. THIS IS JUST A GRAPHIC DISPLAY OF THE AVERAGE amount these businesses owe in the top five, the top ten or the top 100 or the remainder over the past ten years. and you can see again, the largest businesses were paying you know an average of seven or eight million ten years ago and are paying the top 10, more than 40 million, and the top five close to 70 million a year in business taxes. We compared this as I mentioned uh, to what they would pay an alternative, Locations they might consider in the Bay Area. Uh, in general, with the, the possible exception of the city of Oakland, um, a business would pay anywhere from 20 times more to 100 times more in San Francisco versus an alternative location in the South Bay. Many of these South Bay cities have raised taxes recently, but they haven't raised them to anything like what you would pay in San Francisco if you're a large tech company which dominates our business tax base. So um, this is potentially a real problem in an era where businesses are looking to save on office space anyway, where kind of production is more footloose, a lot of it's working at home, and the office is less important. And maybe some of the advantages of a San Francisco in the office in the past may not still uh, be as strong. And this is just a summary of um, how the tax policy changes that the city has made since 2008 have affected the volatility. I mean, I would say we would say pre 2008, we had one volatile tax, which was the, the pre 2008 transfer tax. The property taxes remains a low volatility tax. And that's our largest revenue stream. And the business tax, hotel tax, sales tax, utility user tax are sort of in the middle. The new taxes that we've added, the transfer tax increase, overpaid executive, homelessness, gross receipts tax, they're paid a lot, a few businesses pay a lot for each of those taxes. And so that has increased our overall volatility and risk. And the other two, the gross receipts tax and commercial rent tax are more medium volatility. I'd like to close with an item that isn't in our major report um, because it doesn't deal with the impact of remote work. But it's something that's been on our radar screen for a while, particularly related to small business and the financial burden that falls on small business of being in San Francisco. Um, And this is a chart that our colleagues in the Treasurer and Tax Collector's Office prepared that basically shows what's the effective gross receipts tax rate. Um, for businesses of different sizes, if you count license fees and registration fees as if they were taxes. And of course, a small business is paying them, so they feel like a tax, we just don't call them a tax. But when you include license fees and you look at, and license fees are, you know, fees for permits and other things that every business pays the same regardless of how big they are. Businesses with less than 100,000 in gross receipts, when you consider license fees, are effectively paying a tax that's over 2% of their gross receipts. The largest businesses in town, the are really ones that benefit from our progressive formal tax system, pay about one and a half percent. So what that means is just because of license fees, we actually have a regressive business tax system for businesses sort of at less than a million. And so to kind of skip ahead, When we think about issues that we want to work on for this review, this is not a major revenue issue, but we do think it's a major issue for small businesses. And so the things we are working on for this process in the fall are the overall complexity of the tax. Um, There are many, many different taxes, and they all have different rules, and uh, complying with taxes can be a very complicated task. There are issues about simply the timing of when you owe the tax and when the payments are due. That could be rationalized. We're we're certainly looking for ways in which we can make the process simpler and less painful that don't cost any revenue at at the very minimum. Um, On that note, we're looking at the predictability of future tax liability. The city, as I mentioned, has adopted a number of new taxes that a business might not have foreseen when they came to San Francisco. There are a number of other tax ideas that are discussed every year or two that don't necessarily make it on the ballot. And uh, we're going to look at um, the predictability of tax liability. Um, But we're also, to follow on my previous slide, we're looking at ways to incorporate the revenue that comes from these license fees, which is not a great deal of revenue from the context of $1.5 billion of business tax, to take that out of license fees and put it into the overall business tax base to hopefully sort of restore the progressivity uh, that we had wanted to have in the business tax system. but we don't have when you consider the flat license fees that, that disproportionately affect the smaller businesses. There's also a number of industry-specific issues that make the tax complex and make compliance challenging in industries like construction and retail and residential less, um, renting and a few others. And then there are also some litigation and legal risk that the city has, which will make us want to revise some of the aspects of the tax as well. Um, So there are a number of kind of items on our plate that come right off of the what we've learned from this report. Uh, There are other items that we know we've wanted to fix that will be part of this review process. I think um, Sarah can speak more about uh, the process, but I'll just give you a high-level overview of the calendar. We issued, as I mentioned, our report in July, and uh, Mayor Breed and President Peskin have asked us to continue work on this through the fall. With the aim of getting a legislative solution by the end of the year so starting next month through November we're going to have regular sessions with stakeholders. Businesses and others we're going to be doing our internal work on options and uh, legal vetting of of different possibilities by December we'll have some final options to the mayor and the board and then in the first half of next year we will be. Uh, supporting whatever legislative and policy discussions um, need to take place to prepare for something for the November 24 ballot when hopefully we can get some of the fix uh, in place to remove some of the risks that the city faces as a remote of remote as a result of remote remote work so I'm happy to take any questions on any of this and and Sarah's here as well
1: thank you so much Ted um let's see the commissioners do have some
11: questions lined up um commissioner gregory thank you for that report i do have a few questions and i'm kind of new to this so i'm not too sure you're gonna have to talk to me like you would talk a normal person not somebody in the city that sure. knows about taxes so um speaking of construction so if there's a construction company that does not have an office in the city of san francisco but comes and does work on projects, do they pay city taxes?
10: Well, I'll say at the outset that um, I'm not the person who decides whether you pay tax and how much you owe. That would be the treasurer's office. Um, But I can give you my general understanding of things, which shouldn't be seen as sort of taxpayer advice. And that is, if you're doing construction in San Francisco, you would be subject to the tax generally.
11: So is that in one of these categories? Or no, you guys have not? put that in a category yet?
10: It's something we're looking at. Um, we're not aware of a problem related to that specific issue, um, but it is generally true just like if you don't have a business, in, if you're a retailer without a business in San Francisco, but you sell into San Francisco, you probably owe the tax as well.
11: I'm just wondering because I know that there are, um, there, there's a lot of money that are coming from outside construction companies, GCs down in LA, everywhere in the city of San Francisco. So I'm just wondering when they pay that tax. It's you're saying it's not in this list right here. Is that right?
10: It should be part of the totals that we're looking at. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Okay. Oh
11: wait, I have another question. Oh, okay. So, um, Talking about the commercial rents, right? And how you're saying right now there's a lack of people renting commercial properties. But here at the Office of Small Business, we're hearing that a lot of the landlords are not willing to work with renting those spots. So is there something the city is doing? Like, I don't know, for me, it would be like, why do you, like, it seems like they're holding out on the spots to get more rent, but then then it's also affecting taxes, right?
10: Um, I have heard that as well about the rent problems facing small businesses. Um, The commercial rent tax is heavily, heavily paid by downtown office and not by neighborhood small businesses, just the sort of overall numbers that we're talking about. And so when we see weakness going forward in commercial rents, it's really because of remote work businesses are not needing as much space so they're not paying as much rent. And we're we're anticipating a correction in that market. So so what we're concerned about looking at that revenue stream as a whole isn't necessarily the same concern that you're talking about I think for small businesses. If I understand you correctly.
11: Um, but it's still a commercial building that would have to have the rent.
10: Yeah, they would pay, I believe they would be liable for the tax on the, on the um, rent they collect in that building if it's, if it's occupied. So
11: one more question, sorry. Um, So somebody could come in, a corporation could come in and rent a one desk office in a building downtown in San Francisco and have 50 employees that all work remotely and they don't have to pay tax on those employees.
10: Well, they would pay commercial rent, well, their landlord would pay commercial rent tax on that one room's worth of rent, and work from home, they would probably owe significantly less business tax to the city, especially if they're working at home outside of, and they live outside of San Francisco, than they would be if they all came to an office. Yeah, that is the crux of the problem with remote work, is that businesses owe us less than they would have if everybody was coming into the office like they did before the pandemic.
11: I don't know. I'm sorry. I just don't understand that. If their office is in the city of San Francisco, when they have to pay no matter what their, how many employees are there? It would just be I, off of their revenue that that company is making? That I think that's my disconnect where I'm not fully understanding.
10: Okay. It's, it's an excellent question. Um, how much business tax you owe us for gross receipts, for example, is a function of What's your overall gross receipts for your business? And then how much of that can we apportion to San Francisco? Uh, We basically, we're only constitutionally allowed to tax a fraction of that. So, for example, if you're a national coffee chain, we can't tax your national sales. Our tax has to say, no, 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 we only want to tax a piece of that that we can attribute to San Francisco. Okay? So the rule that our tax uses for attributing... Uh, a a company's total revenues to San Francisco partly depends on how much of your total wage cost is in San Francisco. So for example, if you're a billion-dollar company and 10% of your total payroll is in San Francisco, then then your San Francisco gross receipts are 10% of a billion, which I believe is $10 million. And then you pay the tax rate against $10 million. But because of remote work, if if you know people are not coming into San Francisco and they're working at home from the East Bay or somewhere else, maybe now only two million of your total payroll is actually in that office in San Francisco. You know, so now you owe us two percent of that billion dollars. And so that's how, even if your company's top line is the same, because you're spending less time working in San Francisco and you incur less labor costs in san francisco you owe us less tax and that's the that is the crux of the problem we have with remote work now if your people are working from home and they live in san francisco it shouldn't matter but if your people are working from home and they don't live in san francisco then you owe us less tax i hope that makes sense now yeah. um
1: commissioner ortiz Cartagena.
2: thank you president Ted, as always, pleasure, excellent report. Unfortunately, every time I see you now, you you scare me. And last time you were here, I didn't sleep for a week and property tax and commercial tax got me. That's the real bomb. Um, I I wanna reiterate some stuff that you said, and then I have a couple questions. So from remote, we've lost, because of remote work, about half a billion in 2021. Yes. That's straight up. Currently, of the $1.5 billion, 24% of that comes from just five companies. That's right. Um, as long as I served in this commission, I remember we were based on payroll tax. What would be the difference if that still happened, if we were based on payroll tax opposed to gross receipts? Would we be in a better situation?
10: Um, it's hard to say exactly because... As of 2021, we don't collect the payroll tax anymore. Um, But I don't think it would be that different. Um, The payroll tax is also very concentrated uh, in the biggest businesses. Um, Yes, it's not as progressive. um, But a lot of the concentration is just due to the fact that the biggest businesses in town grew a lot. They had a lot of growth. payroll expense and gross receipts and whatever we wanted to tax. And that's why our tax revenue, you know, basically doubled in a 10 year period. If we had a payroll tax, um, we would still have the same risk from remote work because when we had just a payroll tax, you only owed payroll tax on payroll that you incurred in San Francisco. So to answer your question, it would be a little bit better because the payroll tax was flat, but you know, 10 years ago we wanted to switch to a progressive tax and then subsequent changes to tax policy made it more and more progressive. And that's why we've wound up, uh, that's partly why we've wound up in the situation that we have.
2: Then if you could show slide nine and explain a little.
10: Oh, great, do it faster that way. Can we go back to
2: slide nine, Carrie?
10: Oh,
2: I'll do it. Yeah, I'm sorry. This one. Yes. Okay. So I see Oakland is the only one that is worse off potentially than us that we're we're at least a little bit more attractive than Oakland.
10: I'm not totally confident. I don't know that this is the version actually that we used in our final report. I think we hedged our bet with Oakland because it's a new tax. We're not exactly sure what a business would pay. uh, we might have grabbed that from a from an earlier draft. But Oakland and San Francisco are certainly up there, significantly higher than the other areas in the Bay Area, w- which have a lot of tech employment.
2: So can, can you just explain the math on the relation to, like, Redwood City with the 3,800 to, like? So Redwood City, so
10: this chart is basically saying it, we basically looked at what are the 10 cities in the Bay Area that have the most information, which is the tech industry employment? And then we we calculated what this a, a sample large tech company with 30 billion in sales and these other details would pay in each of those areas. And some of them have a headcount tax, and some of them tax the amount of office space that you use. Uh, I think one may have a payroll-based tax. But no matter how they do it, with the exception of Oakland, which has now adopted a gross receipts tax that's somewhat similar to San Francisco, all the other cities have much lower tax rates. And the ma- some of them have a maximum tax, like Palo Alto and Santa Clara. Um, and so businesses would save significantly more money if they consolidated outside of San Francisco. And you know, it's important to remember that San Francisco has always had the biggest business tax in California. And this is not a new finding, but the thing that worries us is that before the pandemic, you could point to a lot of advantages about a San Francisco office. Like you've got transit to downtown and you can get people from all over the Bay area. Well, transit is probably less of an advantage now because people aren't coming into the office as much. And even people who do come into the office are taking transit less and driving more. So I think we're a little, Less confident that this state of affairs is sustainable. And before the pandemic, you could say, oh, yeah, San Francisco's the highest taxes, but look, San Francisco's still growing faster than all these other places. So it can't matter that much that their taxes are so high. I don't think we're as confident about that now. I think now that taxes are high and we're seeing in a world of reduced office demand, how do we justify that? That's the concern.
2: And then, AND THEN LASTLY, BECAUSE THE LAST TIME YOU REPORTED, YOU REALLY SCARED ME. AND, and I, I THINK, TO BE HONEST, THE CITY, WE'RE NOT BEING REALISTIC ABOUT THE COMMERCIAL, ESPECIALLY AROUND CLASS A ASSETS. Um, YOU KNOW, HEDGE FUNDS LIKE BLACKSTONE, THEY GOT A 30 BILLION RIT, AND A LOT OF THEIR prospectus IS TARGETING SAN FRANCISCO, BECAUSE I THINK THAT'S THE BIGGEST UPSIDE, RIGHT? WHEN, when THE THING RESETS, yes. SAN FRANCISCO'S MARKET FOR CLASS A ASSETS HAS THE BIGGEST UPSWING. HOW DOES THAT INTERSECT WITH what you're saying are our, our commercial vacancies you know what what's how do we define the problem because they both intersect yeah. right especially when 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 people start giving these assets back to the bank and if you have you know the fund that doesn't have to rent and could you know wait it out obviously eventually things come back up you know the market resets whatnot but there's going to be a period where both factors intersect And that could be very catastrophic for us.
10: Um, I do see your point, and it's worth worrying about, Commissioner. I mean, I think at the highest level, we've seen office vacancies very high for a pretty long time by this point. You know, we're well into our fourth year of elevated office vacancy, and it doesn't seem to be correcting as you might have normally expected that it would. Meanwhile, we're seeing businesses not take office space. Their taxes they owe to the city are reduced. Um, And we probably haven't seen the worst in transfer tax. Well, we may have seen the worst in transfer tax, but not in property tax and not in commercial rent tax. What you would expect to happen over the next however long it takes when the office market shakes out is that vacancy rate comes down A set of tenants who are either our 2019 tenants or new people who are attracted by lower rents to San Francisco start filling up that space, and their kind of apportionment factors go back up, and we get a bigger piece of their revenues. Do we get $500 back? I don't know, because if if they're not, you know— super big tech companies, maybe they're just not going to be paying as much tax, but we should be able to fix the vacancy problem. But when we fix the vacancy problem, that will kind of set in stone our property tax problem. So, so it may be that, you know, there's a lot of risk there, but it may be that that 500 million we experienced in 2021 is as bad as that number gets. And that number starts to get smaller and smaller, I hope. But the property tax problem is going to be there for as long as people just don't need offices as much as they did in 2019. And there's a story every week, look, who's coming back to the office. And there's a lot of optimism now. Um, but I would say the aggregate numbers are not pointing toward, you know, recovery and office usage. And, and if that ever happens, it seems to be a, a far away away. But I think to answer your question, Commissioner, that's how I see it. I see the business tax is like an immediate shock to revenue and that's what we saw in 2021 i hope it will get better as the office market works itself out it's taking a long time but that office market adjustment is going to mean less transfer tax revenue less property tax revenue rents will be lower so less commercial uh, rents revenue and that's kind of the permanent weakness
2: and and from a time perspective because there's that flux until everything kind of corrects itself and we get whatever the new values on these class A assets are, when do you think 25, 26? I mean, I I know nobody could predict, but what what would be your best guess that we kind of know what we're in for?
10: Um, The answer to that question hinges on a lot of data that I don't have any access to about where things are with loan delinquencies and people's plans about properties. I mean, I've heard a lot about leases coming due and challenging environment for refinance in this year and next year. Uh, it does look less like the Federal Reserve is going to quickly cut interest rates, which would have made life a lot easier for people who own those assets. Um, so I don't know. But I would say I think we'll know more by the end of next year. Um, but I think the news that we're starting to hear about distressed sales and people turning properties back to the bank is going to become more common in the time to come
2: thank you Ted appreciate you and hopefully pretty soon we'll have positive and cheerful I promise to come back when I have good news Commissioner. <laughs>
1: um let's see Commissioner Gregory oh sorry Commissioner Herbert
8: thank you very much for your report it's very um it's kind of fascinating it seems as though San Francisco as a city has put we've put all our eggs in one basket and we enjoyed reaping the benefits of those baskets and now there's nothing there right is that right so it's really fascinating from an urban planning perspective because to have a healthy economy from an urban planning perspective you want a really healthy uh, bank of small businesses that that serve the people that live in the areas. So this is looking more and more like Hartford, Connecticut. I don't know if you know that model. Um, and so, and on the bar graph that you were showing, it seems like the businesses in the two to seven million dollar range pay a lot of gross sales tax or gross receipts rece- rece- tax, is that right?
10: I'm gonna try and bring that slide. in. Okay. Um,
8: I mean, it's interesting because it's similar to the seven to fifteen million.
10: Yeah, this dollar range. this chart is heavily influenced by where. I mean, the commercial rents tax is like a three and a half percent gross receipts tax that just commercial real estate pays. Okay. So in those in those bars that have a lot of commercial real estate, they have a high rate, and and the commercial rents tax explains that.
8: Okay, that makes sense. But it seems as though if we could attract more small business, like armies and armies of small businesses to San Francisco, it could help the situation. I mean, is there a lost opportunity there?
10: Um, I don't think there's a lost opportunity. I mean, I do think that it's a long-term trend that small business has been weak in San Francisco for 25 or 30 years. And and, And every... Indicator shows it the number of people who work in small businesses the number the creation the birth rate versus the death rate um, The average age of people starting small or running small businesses in San Francisco Um, And there hasn't been a lot of sign of that turning around Um, Part of the problem is that the tech driven economy that that's been built in the city over the past 25 years You know tech is sort of the fuel of everything and not just tech being here but like tech being in the office and tech companies having a supply chain and tech workers spending a lot downtown i mean a lot of small business is downtown or broadly speaking in the northeast sector of the city um tech fuels business tourism and conventions and that also is a is a major market for a lot of small businesses so i would say the neighborhood small businesses have probably a better outlook. Um, uh, they haven't had a great three years compared to most parts of California, but they have a better outlook or the challenges are really about the challenges of running a business in San Francisco. But in terms of demand, it should continue to be there. We really need the office market, though, to adjust to create new opportunities for for businesses for small businesses downtown and I I guess the only kind of silver lining I would point to is there has been a lot of small businesses that have gone out of business. So there is a lot of opportunity when demand returns to downtown there's going to be a lot of space I think for new ventures. Um, But to really sort of reorient the city's economy so that small businesses are growing faster that's going to basically I think require changing the cost structure of living and working in San Francisco and operating a small business. It's, these are very long-term trends, I think.
0: But
8: tech companies really don't have any incentive to bring their people back to the office if it costs them less to have them work at home,
10: right? Well, we're not really seeing tech companies. I mean, we saw this in 2020 with a lot of companies with a flourish saying the office is done, move wherever you want. We'll live in the cloud. That's not really what people are doing. What they're doing, and it's interesting, there was a story you know, I just read yesterday about Meta. And this was framed as a return to the office mandate. But the return to the office was three days a week for people who weren't already allowed to work at home forever. So it's not the strongest return to office. But what you're seeing is companies say, look, two or three days in the office. And everyone is kind of agreeing on that. So what that means is you still need an office. Maybe you don't need as big an office. um, And there's there's no denying that businesses, including large tech companies, have let go of space. That accounts for the office vacancy that we've seen. But really, the model is not for the companies that sort of led San Francisco before the pandemic. It's not really move wherever you want and never come to an office. And so they're going to need some office space. It's not clear that it has to stay in San Francisco. I think that's a big question mark. But I do think we have an opportunity there. I'm also not seeing anything else sort of rising to replace tech. I mean, when we look at the latest tax filings, you know, I can't identify companies, but it's fair to say tech is in that top five, top 10 list of companies. So they really haven't gone away. Um, and they're they're still a, a major force in our economy and our finances.
8: So we just need to build dorms for the people <laughs> that work in tech and have them all live downtown.
10: I mean, I, I would generally say we've got economic growth and we should plan for it. That's a that's an old refrain in this town. So,
8: well, thank you so much, yep. Commissioner
1: Ortiz-Cartagena.
2: I just want to put out this. It's not necessarily directed to you, but um, a thought: when some of these cl- Class A assets do eventually get transferred in the reset, I think there should be some legislation passed where, similar to what we do with storefront vacancies, that these new, you know, owners pay a tax because they're hedging on the reset, and you know they got they're gonna get these properties at a very 50 percent at least or 25 percent discounted rate. So there should be incentive that we pass, just like we do a small business on the storefront that, hey, you gotta fill it out or pay a tax. Just, I I don't know if that's in the talks, if we could do that, but.
10: Um, I will not, uh, I I note your comments, uh, Commissioner, but I'm not gonna analyze it on the fly, if you don't mind. Um, Thank you.
1: Okay. I'm trying to organize my. Actually, I have a bunch of questions. Okay. I'm trying to figure out if some of them, or where to even begin. Your presentation was was uh, fascinating, um, a little disturbing, i <laughs> say. So I agree that um, I'm going to have a lot to chew on tonight and and um, worry about. But. Um, I guess one of the questions that I have initially is, have I guess maybe we're not here yet, but is this report going to um, s- somehow connect in the next few weeks or as you start to have the um, the series of stakeholder meetings with the um, plans that we have in planning? So I, I guess as we move forward with how we reuse space downtown or how we consider space, um, is this information meant to like inform that conversation like are we looking at the whole ecosystem um, holistically
10: um, I may defer that one to Sarah I don't think we were planning to look at the downtown reuse conversation as part of business tax okay. um, but but the, what we're doing may be of interest to that process
1: I don't know if I made my question clear but I know like and, and, and to that.
9: kind of play that out Commissioner I think you're looking at if we you know if we right-size or rationalized taxes on commercial office, but then we convert a lot of buildings to institutions or residential. What does that mean overall? Is that kind of for your yeah, question Yeah, like is getting- does that
1: change kind of like what the tax <clears throat> outlook looks like or outcome kind of looks like?
9: I mean, it is a factor that, we OEWD and the city in our recovery plans will consider, particularly as this work on business taxes march forward, with hopefully some proposals being clear by the end of the year. I will say that we, regardless of that, and I think to your point about Hartford, which is where I grew up, uh, <laughs> uh, we we at OEWD, in addition to wanting a uh, a Rational tax system that supports our business community writ large and allows us to have a functioning great government moving forward that's relatively stable and not going to fall off a cliff at the drop of a hat. We also have a larger goal of trying to create, in land use terms and in urban planning terms, a place that is diverse so that it will be resilient over the long term and that we aren't. You know, in a place, and you know, I will say my assessment while our downtown has not restricted other uses like residential and institutional to this point, what it did was it did allow the highest and best user who could pay the most to take over, and that resulted in kind of the singular land use that we see downtown. So it is our goal to try to introduce and support conversions and introductions of. Other uses, in addition to the small business and office that exists downtown, and I think we will do that regardless. We're not going to change on those points just because keeping it office at some point will result in more taxes overall for the city system. So we're going to both end it, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think my my thoughts um, going into it were really like as we start to think about what legislation will look like to change. Um, you know the tax structure that we kind of keep in mind the future kind of like possibilities for um, for I guess land use and and um, planning and things like that so that we're not kind of s- just not seeing the full picture at that point and like voting on legislation that only solves for one thing and not for kind of like a greater a greater outcome or you
9: know the greater picture. Absolutely agreed, and I think it's a great point, and that's why we want to be very involved in this system so that it is not, um, I think, one of the things that has contributed to the um, imbalanced system that we see today and relatively risky system that we see today is adding new taxes. Humility has kind of looked like free ice cream in a way, right? Like, why not put it on if we can get that revenue, and we want to make sure that we're thinking about the balanced picture of what we want our city to look like um, as we're doing those, so...
1: And, um, you know, it looks like, so yeah, you know, one of the conversations is really um, that this tax structure and this, you know, I don't know, like how much our businesses are paying in taxes versus other municipalities like in the Bay Area has been significantly high for, for a long time, but it's been worth it. Like what you were saying, you know, is that people have been willing to pay um, more to be here. Um, Has there... I mean, I guess, are we trying to figure out what that more could still look like? Like, you know, what what are the things that still make San Francisco kind of, like, you know, worth it? Or is that... Um, I guess I'm not really asking a question. I'm kind of... Or I, I should be asking a question. I have a question somewhere in here. But <laughs> it hasn't, hasn't worked its way um, out yet. It's kind of like, are we hoping that we're going to be getting back to the same level of taxes. Like now that we see like what that number looks like, like where are we going to get this, where are we going to get the same level of um, tax base?
10: Well, I mean, one of the things I, I would say is that although, you know, I mentioned that the remote work phenomenon cost us close to $500 million in 2021. We actually did have nearly as much business tax revenue in 2021 as we did in 2019 because the businesses that pay had two monster years of growth and even though they would have owed us a lot more, they didn't save very much because essentially their top lines grew so much that even though they owed us a smaller percentage of that to the city, um, <clears throat> you know, the overall amount that they owed was not nearly reduced by that amount. I don't know if I'm being clear. But what I want to say is the $500 million is really a hypothetical loss that we would have experienced if our 2021 businesses had been in the office as much as they were in 2019. It's not saying that in any year we lost $500 million dollars from the previous year. Okay. In fact, we lost quite a bit less because voters approved new tax increases, and also because the businesses grew. So I think, you know, notwithstanding the risks that I've talked a lot about, it's not unrealistic to think that we will surpass our previous business tax revenue, because tech is continuing to grow, and the tech layoffs seem to be behind us, and those companies are, haven't fled San Francisco yet. So I don't think they're necessarily going to go away, but the risks are there. And I think it's just a question of, um, do we need to change mindset from a situation in which we looked at and said, tech needs to be in San Francisco, and they need San Francisco offices. And if we raise taxes on them, they won't leave. Is, do, we, do we still think that that's true in this new reality? And, and personally, I'm, more, I'm less confident about that than I was four years ago. And I think we all are. And I think that that's part of what we're trying to solve with, with this reform effort. Um, I know, as, I, as I mentioned, I don't foresee tech being a smaller share of the city's economy. I don't think the economy is going to evolve into something else. We may have suppressed office demand for a long time, um, but again, I don't think we're going to see the tech companies all move away uh, unless, again, something something dramatic happens related to this tax to this tax difference liability issue that we've talked about.
11: Um, commissioner Gregory. Thank you. Um, I just have a few more questions, uh, that were coming up about construction (laughs) because okay. So yes, maybe a lot of people left their offices in the 2020, right? And they worked from home, but construction didn't, the mayor did not stop construction and we have seen construction grown the most in the pandemic. So, I'm just wondering. Okay, let me just ask you this question, right? Like, I'm a layman person, in terms. Okay. You own a construction company in LA, and I own a construction company in San Francisco. And you win a bid over here, and you have, you and your project manager come up here. But I am going against that, going against you for a bid. And I have my whole team here, my mm-hmm. whole office here. All my employees are from San Francisco. Who pays the most
10: taxes? You do.
11: Okay. So wouldn't it make sense to kind of tax those companies that are coming into San Francisco a little bit more because they are reaping millions and millions of dollars in the city and taking that money outside the city. So isn't there a way to... Get some kind of money for these construction companies?
10: There may be a way to do that. And it is not only in construction that we're looking at this (laughs) issue. The reason it was set up this way is because we wanted to reflect a tax burden that was sort of proportional to how connected a company was to San Francisco. So, for example, if a company that's not in construction is in San Francisco, all their people are in San Francisco but all of their businesses is outside of San Francisco. We don't want to tax them zero. We want to tax them based on the fact that all of their people are in San Francisco. In construction, it's both. It's both a function of how much of your payroll is in the city and how much of your sales is in the city. So in your hypothetical example, yes, the, the outside company would pay higher taxes, and that is something we can fix, and that is something that we're looking at.
11: That's, I just know that a lot of small business construction companies and professional services are losing a lot of business to outside companies in the city. And I think, I mean, honestly, the best part of being from San Francisco is being from San Francisco. Is to say my I work in San Francisco. I live in San Francisco. And so there has to be a way to protect the small businesses and construction and professional services why if you do come into the city of san francisco you have to pay that's it thank you (laughs) commissioner herbert
8: just one last thing i agree um with commissioner gregory i think san francisco should hire make a point of hiring san francisco companies and taxing the companies that want to come in from the outside heavily They have to pay to play, basically.
10: Understood, Commissioner. There are constitutional issues in saying you can't target a non-San Francisco company with a higher tax, but there are ways to do it that we're not penalizing a company just because they have people here.
8: Okay. And and my last comment is just that San Francisco is an amazing city, so it it will come back, Uh, but there are Thousand reasons that people would want to be here. They still want to be here. It's beautiful. <clears throat> I won't name all one thousand reasons, but you know we're going to make it back. In my opinion, it's just going to be a little rough for a while. So, thank you again.
1: Yeah, I think um, my my questions are not quite formulating in my mind yet. There's so much to take in. I think. Um, for us as a commission, we'd love to continue this conversation, and um, I don't know, see how I think as your as your work continues, for us to be able to explore how this affects like our small business community. Because I think you know the things that we see on the ground is really that. I mean, it's exactly what you're pointing out. Is there's a, a balance to be had, right? Like there's we can't create so many barriers to starting a business at any scale or barriers for any business to come into San Francisco that the risk becomes too great for them that they don't want to invest in San Francisco and it's kind of like how do we how do we right-size all of these things for everybody and I think what you noted about the small business impact is really interesting um, that for small businesses that that barrier is quite large and um, it's interesting that it's happening on the the top, you know, or in the kind of top middle end as well. But um, for us, as you saw, you know, kind of the legacy businesses, these are, the impacts are very individual and um, very hard for our family. So I think, um, you know, I, I think this, hopefully our commission can be of a resource for you as you have stakeholder engagement um, going into the next few months and formulating how things I know that our our little drop doesn't seem to be as large of a part of that bucket, but I think when we're thinking about diversification of um, businesses, I have a feeling this is just kind of like the very beginning of that kind of conversation. Thank you very much. Um, Oh, any other questions? No? Okay. Thank you. Oh, public comment? Any public comment on the line or in the room? Uh, There's none, okay, great. Um, No public comment, public comment is closed. Um, Next item, thank you very much. Item four, shared spaces
0: program update. This is the discussion item. The commission will hear an update from the shared spaces program, including an overview of applications and upcoming permitting deadlines. And we'll discuss how the commission can support the program and amplify communications. Presenting today, we have Annie Yalen, Public Relations and Communications Manager with the Planning Department, and Monica Munowich, Shared Spaces Program Manager with SFMTA, and Gregory Slocum, Department of Public Works, who is on the line.
1: Hi, thank you so much for coming.
0: Hi, good afternoon, good evening, (laughs) good evening.
12: Um, We have some slides prepared for you all today. Um, Carrie, you'll be able to load them up awesome thank you um well good evening monica Munowich, sfmta shared spaces program manager it's been a minute since we've been to this group to present to you all and give you an update and we have a ton to update you on um and a really important milestone coming up so this is a very timely discussion and eager to give you guys an update and um and we have an ask and some help from you guys as well. So, um, with that, I'll get started. And yeah, Annie Yalon, Planning Department's here with me, and Gregory Slocum, Public Works is on the phone for any questions. So, to get started, um, topics for tonight, we mainly want to focus on where we're at in this transition from the pandemic to permanent or post-pandemic program, um, give you an update on where we are in our applications processes, some statistics on scale and numbers, um, and all the efforts we've been engaging in to support businesses and get people through this milestone. So, Key timeline, um, as you probably recall, uh, the pandemic program ended at the end of March, and we've been in this 180 day grace period that the Board of Supervisors legislated, a grace period intended for pandemic operators to have more time um, to get their um, new permits in order. Um, so the 180 day um, ends September 27th, so we're about a month away from a really important deadline. Um, And what this means is that pandemic operators will have had to not only submit their application, um, finish having it reviewed by city departments. Um, After that point, they get a conditional approval, but there's also steps after that. So there's still um, a lot of work underway that businesses are eagerly working to, to get to to the September 27th deadline. And that's after applications are reviewed and approved, there's a 10-day public posting a parklet operator needs to make modifications um, to come into compliance. Um, and then there's a post-construction inspection by public works and fire department. And then you were able, if you clear that, you're able to get your permit. Um, so just want to lay that out. That represents a lot of work and a lot of touch points with the city um, that we're really committed to supporting businesses to get them, to get them into new permits, new legislated legal permits. Um, So to give a sense of scale and some important numbers, we're currently working through about 639 post-pandemic parklets applications. Um, That's down from, you may remember numbers height of the pandemic, 11, 1200 parklets, um, just to give a sense of scale of kind of where we're at, the sort of landscape of pandemic permits or permits that are here to stay, parklets that are here to stay. And as a frame of reference i think it's really important to sort of remember and understand some of the growing pains that are part of this transition which is that in the pandemic we were really reactionary it was a very stressful time for the city for operators we were under very intense obviously indoor restrictions And so it forced us to be rapid, adaptable, make a lot of compromises. Fast forward three years later, um, in this new era, we we still have this streamlined process we're really proud of, streamlined procedures, but we're looking at solutions that are more sustainable, parklets are here to stay as we sort of look at permitting um, occupancy in the public right-of-way. Some more statistics before I pass it on to Annie to talk a little bit more about our communications efforts. Um, We have reported about 121 people that have already removed their parklets. It's more than that. Obviously, we had 1,200 at one point, but um, we've gone out and and folks that have since March closed down their parklet. But there's a 639 in the mix, and only three of them have gotten their permit, their post-pandemic permit. Why is that? A lot of reasons. Um, one thing is that it's really been very difficult to get responses and stay on top of the scale and applicants that we're, and businesses that we're working on um, and through. For example, they're sort of kind of categorizing three different buckets of folks. The first number, that first bucket is 179 of that 639, 179 that have made it through permit review. They made, they submitted, Public, MTA reviewed and and improved public works reviewed and approved but they still need to build get an inspection and then their permit. so they're really far along but there maybe there's maybe they're within their window to build which is about 60 days some folks have like haven't done it for a couple months so it's these are really the folks we're focusing on to get through the finish line but another 144 have incomplete applications. And are at the beginning of the sort of approval process they haven't even gotten through sfmta review the first department that reviews it so those are we sort of call them incomplete applications they applied they still haven't made it out of our queue and then another one 313 made it through sfmta but then are sort of stuck in that second departmental review Um, so yeah 144 and 313 haven't gotten to that step that the 179 did, if, I, if that makes sense. Happy to go over this again, but we've been combing through the data very thoughtfully and intentionally to really understand the different ways we need to support people and where folks are getting challenged, where we can just be strategic. So I'm happy to elaborate on this, but with that in mind, Annie will ta- start to talk about how we've been targeting engagement with these
13: businesses. So, since March, we've been doing, and well before that, as I'm sure you've been aware in previous briefings, we've been really offering businesses consistently that one on one case management support. That comes through emails, that comes through one on one video calls, and then we have at least once a month an in person office hours event where a business can come physically to 49 South Van and receive feedback. On their site plans from staff, and we're always willing to offer in-language support as well. Um, so, in addition to that, we've done a lot of phone banking. Um, we've even sometimes done text messages when we can't get through to an applicant. Uh, we're partnering with Office of Small Business, our grantee partner, SF New Deal, who also is plugged in with other nonprofit members, um, as well as planning. MTA, and Public Works all making those phone calls and answering people's questions and letting them know what they're missing and maybe you missed that email and then sending it again. Um, and then the next step um, is going to be noticing those applicants who are still missing uh, information in order to make their application complete. So the legislation states um, that the it has to have a complete permit application in the system by September 27th. So we're continuing to do big pushes um, in order to get people um, ready with all the missing materials that they may have. We're also offering a few grants at this time. We're we're offering our shared spaces equity grants. Those are back open. Businesses can be reimbursed for up to $2,500 to bring their parklets into compliance. We also offer that grant for table and chair uh, permit holders as well. And then we also have a new grant, the arts and culture grant, um, which is in partnership with SF New Deal that is up to $10,000 for merchants associations, nonprofits to really do um, individual activations in their community and on their streets. So those applications are rolling. The priority deadline was August 1st, but we are accepting applications for that grant up until January, and for the equity grants, the deadline is September 27th to also match the permitting deadline as well. And then I'll bring it back over to Monica to talk about the fee waiver update.
12: Hopefully short presentation. This is our second to last slide. Um, so fee waiver, um, earlier this summer, the board of supervisors, um, deliberated and ultimately approved, a a fee waiver for the next year. And we just wanted to explain a little bit about what went into effect. Um, you may have, we've put out some communication and emails, um, but it's, it's a little confusing. So worth spending some time understanding exactly who's benefiting and how. Um, so basically to break it down, um if you had a parklet during the pandemic and you're transitioning, your initial permit fee is waived. So there's two different fee types. There's a permit fee and an annual license fee. Um, and those are both waived um, until July 2024. If you're obviously a short space parklet, a pandemic one, and you're removing, there are no fees. It's not like retroactively you have to uh, pay for a permit in the past Um so if you're not transitioning to the new program, you simply need to remove your parklet by, July, by September 27th, the end of the grace period. <clears throat> and if you're applying for a new parklet, so you're someone brand new, you never had a parklet during the pandemic, you also benefit from the fee waiver. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, your initial permit fees are waived um, for the first year, um, I believe the annual license fee is the only one that does apply. Um, and I should mention, this is mentioned this last point, but for all of this, the threshold, the other thing that the legislation did is um, raise the threshold from 2 million to 2.5 million in annual gross receipts to be eligible for the 50% off waiver. So eventually when you are paying fees, say in July 24, um, if you are eligible, you are, you have. A waived for a whole year, and you're half of what they are. 50% off. Hopefully that makes sense, we can go back to that. But just want to make sure you are all aware to put out the good word about um, what got passed and how that's supporting small businesses. So to wrap up, um, we... Of course, have enormous amount of respect for your um, sort of committee, and you've so plugged in and have been so helpful over the years of the program. And would love your support to help continue to put out the new word, the, the word especially as we are in the last month. And as you can tell from the presentation, we are doing so much intentional work to reach folks, but. Um, you could help us put out the good word. And if there's anything more we can do on that, we're happy to send you lists, for example. Um, like we mentioned, we've really curated and really dug into the numbers. We're happy to share some of the folks in these different categories. Maybe you guys, um, they're in your network, um, and you could help put out the word. Um, just let us know how we can what we can provide you. So with that, any questions? And thank you so much for your time this evening.
1: Great. Thank you so much. That was... It was good to have a, a status update. It sounds like there's there's a lot happening in the next month. <laughs> um, Commissioner Ortiz-Cartenio?
2: Thank you, Monica. It's been a while. I want to first thank you for the presentation, and I want to commend your outreach. That's for real. Like, you know, I always, when it's good, it's good, and it's been good. Those workshops have been really good for people that actually make it, but they are good. I've had some of my colleagues attend, and I know it's specific, but it's good. And um, Brian, my emos full of his emos. So like Brian's (laughs) doing his job, right? Like he's making me work. Mm -hmm. So he's doing the job. Um, If we could go back to the slide on the fee waivers, I think I understand it, but just for the people that are seeing, especially the nonprofits. um, So I got a permit, let's say, um, Williams Bakery. I got a permit during the pandemic. I'm one of the few that have all the approvals and everything. I will not have to pay any fees for anything until July of 24, when I start that fiscal year.
12: That's correct. Um, yeah, a little, it's so right. The legislation specifically waived it until July 24. The way the um, treasure tax collector, the unified license bill works, I believe it's like that cycle. It misses that cycle, so it ends up being another, I'm oh, sorry, a good year. I think it's March that those are assessed on.
13: It'll be April 2025 on your Unified Tax Bill. Okay. That's because it missed US the- business owner couldn't right. anticipate receiving your first bill. So William-
12: March Bakery. 24, it misses it with July 24.
6: Okay.
13: Right. And just to clarify this, sorry, no, only no, no. applies to parklet operators. So the, the legislation was specific to parklets. It did not include street closures or- Um, table and chair permit holders.
2: Copy that. So straight chair spaces, parklets. So I'm Williams Bakery. I got everything. I won't have to pay something out of pocket till March of 25. Correct. Okay. And then the second one, I am crazy. And I started a business right now in San Francisco, Williams Winery. And I'm applying for a parklet. And I'm doing the process right now. When do I eventually pay? Or how much do I pay?
12: so the, so the annual license fee applies right away and i don't know the permit fees are one two and three thousand dollars i don't know that off the top of my head the annual license fee it's not it's in the hundreds of dollars so that goes into effect um but does if that also misses the unified license bill in march does that also get means that it's pushed out to 25 i actually don't know off the top of my head
13: so a the permit has to go through the full cycle of being approved and then everything. And then what I can do is I can uh, carry I connected to Wi-Fi. I can pull up the fee schedule on the, on the website because, as Monica stated, it really depends on that amount of parking spaces.
2: But, like, percentage-wise, yeah. I'm brand new. You don't have to give me the exact figure. I, I know I'm, I think, top of my head. But I would have to pay right now today 50% of whatever the fee you want to spaces.
12: Yeah, fifty percent. Not this year. Not until next year. Of twenty four. Uh, of twenty four for the um, for the permit fee, and that is the bigger number. That one, two, or three thousand versus mm-hmm. a public movable or fixed parklet, totally waived. For, for a, me too. Even um, me.
2: My new one. You're new renew- business. correct. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. I get it. And then, lastly, and I, I don't know if you can answer. I don't know its data, but it's like a reduction of like almost fifty percent in and parklets reapplicate, mm-hmm. reapplications. Do mm-hmm. you do you have a sense why is it because all the rules or, you know?
12: Yeah, yeah, some of that, yeah, some <laughs> of that. anecdotal Annie may have some additional insight from where where I sit, what I've seen, it's a mix of things. There are folks that are feel like they don't need it. They are like, we're back indoors. We don't have the same like it's not the same period of time. It worked for us then. We don't not, We no longer need it. They're hard to maintain. They don't pencil out. Right, there's graffiti. F- there's homelessness issues. There's neighbor disputes. Um, it may not pencil out financially um, because of the modifications they need to meet, or period, just sort of where they look at the demand and how much extra sort of staff they need. Um, those are the ones I hear about: maintenance, modifications, penciling
13: out. Any other categories? Yeah, no. I think I think you know, it's it's the in terms of penciling out oftentimes a lot of parklet operators are finding themselves in a position where they would need to make modifications or have to rebuild the parklet entirely, so we're weighing cost-benefit analysis. Um, And then in some cases, but I would say this is much more rare, some uh, parklet operators are not able to carry on into the legislated um, program because their footprint doesn't qualify. So oftentimes that's because of a red zone or an inability to um, daylight the parklet, right?
7: Yeah. The
12: far minority, like less than, I'm trying to think of of any, like for the most part, footprint changes do need to happen, but we can still make a parklet happen. It just may look very different, but yeah, there are probably some few occasions, maybe a parklet that could be in a bus zone because the bus like was not operating. It's finally coming back. They have to go away, but probably less than 10 that totally cannot, are going away because they simply, there's no space for them.
2: And, and last one, and by the way, S of New Deal, great partner. They're on top of it. They work a lot with my colleagues at Glecha, so they rock around shared space. Just a technical question. Does the parklet have to have available spacing to the public? Yes, right? Yes, yeah. The portion of it, how much of that? Like, let's say I'm a single parking space parklet.
12: Yeah, every so the legislation is vague but also explicit. It explicitly states that every parklet of 20 feet has to have a public bench or a public seating area of some sort. It doesn't just specify how big it needs to be, how many people it should accommodate. Loosely, we've been our interpretation is as a person and a chat like enough for two people, but where it is in the footprint is up it can be very flexible. Depending so there's on there's
2: no dimensions, black and white. So if no, I make a bench for one person.
12: Yes, okay. um, within 20 feet, so for, for every, for every 20, 20 feet. So if you're a bigger parklet, you may need more than one. And there's maybe, and I don't know if public works, hopefully it's not, there may be other accessibility requirements that obviously it has to, like can't be placed somewhere that inhibits some other sort of design parameter like ADA access. Um, but yeah, there we've seen pretty creative solutions about where they're placing them, but there, it's not, we do review it and approve it. It can't be like maybe overhanging in some situation that would be unsafe or impede access. On the
2: street side, right? Right.
1: (laughs) Exactly.
2: And then lastly, lastly, lastly. um, So obviously, from my nonprofit, I'm working with a lot of people that haven't been as responsive or just don't have, you know, the consent from a neighbor, et cetera, right? The deadline's pretty close, realistically, and and your team's been amazing. So I know, Monica, we worked on a ton and... I know I could reach out, I know I could reach out, and I think, you know, you're accessible, everybody. What's realistically the enforcement? Like, is it going to be punitive? 27 comes, and we're going to come with the wrath of God to our small businesses, or or we're, we're going to work with them?
12: Yeah, a little bit of both. We will be intentional and have to prioritize who we're noticing right away. Um, so, for example, it's it's October um, our Public Works Enforcement team is not going to have the bandwidth to, and we wouldn't even want them to go out to hundreds. You know, within that first week, we will look at and for, sort of start with the the obvious folks, the folks that we we applied six months ago, never responded to that initial email, like never responded to a phone call. They're going to receive a notice that says your pandemic parklet is expired. Please remove within a certain amount of time, and then a citation and a fee. So we'll be rolling out that as we get past september but start with the most not egregious but sort of the obvious stakeholders that feel like they're we have a good sense that they're not wanting to continue in the permanent program and go from there Um, so it won't be everyone it will be intentional strategic we're trying everything every toolkit we have every contact that we have to work so that is a last
2: resort okay thank you. you you've done a great job on the outreach
13: to add one thing to that um only one fine has ever been issued to date. So there have been corrective notices sent out to you know folks who may be offer, operating like a very unsafe um, situation, but only in one instance over the last many years. Um, that's, good. So that's good to hear. We really we really pride ourselves on really working with the businesses and just ask for that consistent communication just to let us know like i hear you i see you i'm working on it i just need to do this or you know let us know what's going on
2: i appreciate yeah. that 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 was a good that's good thank you appreciate y'all thank you
1: commissioner herbert uh,
8: first of all thank you for all your hard work um i've been receiving all those emails too and it's great um, i probably have to circle back about one of my parklets. Um, One has to go away. Um, And I did have some feedback for you guys. Um, I think a lot of people went to considerable expense to build the parklets during that period where it was sort of anything goes. You know, Mm -hmm. we're going to die if we don't have one. And then um, the rules started adding up Um, and so some people have spent a lot of money on parklets and now they have to tear them down because they don't comply, you know, like the, the 20 feet from the crosswalk rule. I'm one of those people. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I guess what I would just come out and ask, which is probably not possible, but you know, the weather is part of business for restaurants and October is a really nice weather month. Everything starts to go downhill sort of at the end of October. So just putting out an ask. If you don't ask, you don't get. You know, would it be possible to stretch it until you know, closer to the end of October so that restaurants specifically can um, continue to profit from that nice weather while the sun is still shining kind of thing? Um, That being said, I really appreciate all the work that you guys are doing, and um, it would be great to know what departments are requiring what. Does that make sense? Like, is it the fire department that's requiring the 20 feet from the crosswalk? Is it DPW Mm -hmm. that's doing, requiring something else? It's been a little bit um, confusing to know, like Mm what, who's requiring what and when. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my question is, will there be oversight of the parklets that are still existing? Like how will your department you know, maintain oversight of them, making sure everybody's keeping their parklet up and looking good, mm-hmm. um, being structurally sound? Is there a plan for that with the existing parklets as we move forward? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, And yeah, it would, it, I, I understand that it, the whole process has been an evolutionary one, right? Um, you've sort of made discoveries about what works and what doesn't along the way. Um, but it would have been really ideal if the rules were the rules from the beginning. And I guess that just wasn't, I mean, almost an impossible task, right? So that everybody knew, OK, you know, I shouldn't build this thing, because I'm going to have to take it down eventually, right? Um, I'd love your feedback on that. Totally. <laughs> yeah
12: yeah yeah. well, I'll stop there and I do want to address your other questions totally. I think we think about that all the time. like if we could go back in time how we how would we do things differently? Um, that being said, we were operating, you can't recreate the sort of the the period of time we were in and sort of having to right size that now. And as we are, have that opportunity now to be like, how would we want to do it? Which we couldn't necessarily in all that, that we are pulling together in May of 2020. Um, I think it's it's a little bit of both. I think we're mindful of wanting to take pieces of the pandemic program with us. We now have a streamlined permitting process of 30 days before my understanding pre-COVID it would take like eight months to a year. Much more robust. I think we want to take those bits that worked really well, fast, responsive, adaptable, um, but balance those trade-offs. It's a, it's a real experience. We see it, we hear it, we know it. It's a fair criticism, that evolution that happened. Um, that being said you know, we do look back and it's sort of like, it wouldn't have made sense, I think about that, like to not allow something in May 2020 that we thought in three years from now, this won't fly, like, no, you can't be in the, so it's sort of, we made the right call, I think, for the time, and we're trying to make the right call for this time, and it's just inevitable, at least from where I sit, unfortunately, that there's just going to be growing pains, like we talked about in the very beginning Mm -hmm. of the presentation um it doesn't mean hopefully that we're doing a terrible job i think it's just sort of an inevitable as we grow and get into the next era something that's more sustainable um and that not that it matters but at the time i think we hoped it was the agreement was mutual and understanding that the permits were temporary they were temporary the the thing we actually issued had like a timeline at six months we only offered little six month chunks Regardless, people invested and where they're at the situation they are now, and it's hard to do that sort of reverse action. Um, But they were intended to be, this whole thing has been an experiment. Um, But to go back to some of your other questions, and I don't know if Annie has anything you want to elaborate on um, about sort of that last question of the three, um, who's going to be maintaining it? public works issues these permits they always have they have an enforcement team fire department has an enforcement team the team has always been around but I think as we stabilize and we're at more of a place of having bandwidth to um, keep on top of compliance um, and inspections those will be the departments at the front and center Um, but we're really hoping the permitting process is how we get it right like we hope you get a permit because you did everything right and there's not these like like fix after the fact. Um, but yeah, those will be the, the sort of departments um, in those capacities. And in terms of who does what, um, I'm curious if you have more additional insights on how we could make that better. I know our manual at least it's very long, very dense, but at least is color coded by section. so it is somewhat an easy way. I think fire might be red, I could be wrong but like the red pages are like you know you're in this section because this is fire department requirements ADA you're in this section because, this is something public works looks at MTA footprint. So I think there are different colors, more or less by department. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also know our compliance advisories, which seemed like so long ago. I know at the time when we developed that for every business and we sent them to every business, they were, I think, coded by like the department, fire, MTA, public works, and like the code section. But that's the two things I could think of that's like at least readily available where we try to interpret the guidelines by department. But if you have other pieces of feedback on how we could do better with that.
13: yeah, I'd feel remiss if I don't invite you to our Parklet design training and office hours this Thursday. I know everyone here operates a business and is busy, but that is a great space to make that visual connection between Monica at MTA delivering the MTA portion of the training, Gregory from Public Works delivering that portion, and then just kind of Connecting the dots with that like visual representation of the individual who's representing that department. So I just wanted to plug that in this moment, if I may.
8: Thank you, and and you guys have done a great job. I mean, the fact that we have parklets has been, you know, a gift. Um, and I do have one last question, which is, it's going to be really expensive to take them down to get to get rid of this the. the the materials that were used, right? That's costly. Is there um, anyone to help with that? Um, I heard something about the Boy Scouts wanting the materials or something. There was a
13: great rumor about the Boy Scouts, but we were (laughs) unable to verify that. We did pursue it. Um, But newly, um, you can apply for a shared spaces uh, equity grant, for removal of your shared space, so that would be twenty five hundred dollars towards the removal of your shared space. Okay. Yeah, and just you know, it we do know the disposal and the rental of a truck is probably the most cost costly portion of that, mm-hmm. but um, you know, it doesn't it doesn't require skilled labor to to do it. So, just putting yeah. that out there, and hope, hopefully, that you'll apply for an equity grant too. Great.
8: THANK YOU. I'M ASKING FOR OTHER OPERATORS AS WELL, SO. THANK YOU.
1: COMMISSIONER ORTIZ-CARTANIA.
2: YEAH, I JUST WANT TO HIGHLIGHT ON, on 24th STREET, OUR CULTURAL DISTRICT, we, WE HAD IT WITH Calle 24, AND YOU GUYS DID AMAZING. EVERYBODY'S there. NEW DEAL, YOUR OFFICES. IT WAS, it was DOPE, AND um, REGARDING DISPOSAL, KLECHA, MY NONPROFIT, WE'VE BEEN DOING IT. SO WE'VE BEEN DOING IT BEFORE THE, um, the SHARED SPACE GRANT CAME OUT, SO HOPEFULLY NOW WE COULD HELP THEM apply so we've been fronting the cost of removal it's not it's not that much it's not that bad so some people that didn't want to proceed we we got the labor and we did the dump and all that stuff for them
12: curious how much it cost?
2: on average about 700 on average mm-hmm. so
1: that's good that's wonderful right. yeah. great any other comments I mean it sounds like um I mean my assumption is that Um, Department of Public Works, like DPW, I don't know if it was, uh, and then MTA, everybody is like ready to help process with every, like process all of these. And now we're at a stage where you're having a really challenged time getting a hold of the business owners, right? That is the the ask essentially, right? For us to be able to um, reach out to our network. So... I think after this meeting, you had offered to be able to share some of the businesses that you're having a tough time getting a hold of. I think we can definitely, you know, kind of help with that that load, and maybe Carrie, you can, um, I don't know, help figure out how we delegate that <laughs> effectively. Um, and so, I mean, it sounds like the 313 that have not yet cleared the second department review. I mean, those are most likely to be the ones to be cleared um, by the September deadline. And then, um, and then we still have 144 who are, and 179 who are kind of like missing really a lot of, um, a lot of the steps. So, so potentially a lot of the parklets that we see right now could be, um, eventually not, not, um, used, right. Or have to be taken down. So I hope
3: not.
12: Yeah, <laughs> I hope it's to, it's continued engagement, but it's more realistically, right, a lot of folks that are potentially getting notices as a last resort, you know, targeted and strategic, but um, we're hopeful all these people are so close to getting over the finish line and just making final decisions, getting missing materials, um, but yeah, it's not, it's a significant number.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think the vast majority of, like, uh, people that we talk to, at least in, in my neighborhood, like, residents and and things love having parklets, love having more outdoor space. People really enjoy being able to, like, sit outside and, and have coffee or whatever it is, you know. And, and so I think, you know, for all, all the millions of people who are listening to our commission meeting tonight, <laughs> hopefully they will encourage their neighbors and their merchants that, you know, that not just to ask them to, like, move forward, but if there's a way that they can really pitch in and help um, because maybe – Maybe some of this is bandwidth for for businesses, right? And so, um, you know, hopefully we'll we'll all be able to kind of help with that. So, thank you, thank you very much for your time and your presentation. Oh, actually, um, if you don't mind staying for public comment, we probably have several thousand people. We have we line. have one caller in the queue. Oh, nice. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you so much for attending the meeting. <laughs>
14: Yeah, uh, thanks for having me at the meeting Uh, this isn't uh, while I know you guys are primarily not primarily, but here for the shared spaces program and we're having all of these meetings uh, we had another meeting, I think, at the coffee section place about uh, at the. Sexic copyright history about the little girl that got hit uh, by the car and killed. And uh, to give you a little bit of a background on myself, um, I've been hit by two cars in your city and I've been knocked to the ground and those drivers drove off. Um, I'm a convicted felon. I have just been rejected on four applications for. housing and we have all of these meetings and i'm just i'm so curious because i sit there i have the funds for housing and we say we're concerned with people's safety even you know put in the context of drivers and stuff with these parklets but we're still not concerned with the real issue which is i have money for housing and i'm being denied funding for housing but there's all of these programs for me to go to uh to fuel your guys's jobs meanwhile i'm left homeless and then people bitch about their car windows getting broken and stuff like that and um, you know i could go stand at at, at uh fourth and market right now and i know that's not where your guys parklets are located but i can go stand there for 12 hours during the day and for every Collar- single <laughs> oh. every single hour that i am standing there sorry we're gonna probably have 10 to minutes that i standing there uh, I know, i'm getting, our the, I'm getting my point here. this item is and about shared spaces is,
0: so if your comment is not about shared yeah, spaces, yeah, I'm, I'm, my
14: comment is about the shared spaces because we're <clears throat> Focusing on funding and where that funding is coming from, but we're not paying attention to the real issues. Of all of you guys, misspend money and it is staring you in the face of what is outside. I've spent over a hundred dollars applying for apartments and I'm being denied. I have a full-time job. Yeah,
1: I don't. It sounds think like this is about housing, so we're gonna we're gonna cut you off now. Okay, thank you very much. All right. Well, any other uh, public comment about about shared spaces, (laughs) more specifically? There is none. None. Uh, Seeing no callers on the line. Seeing no callers in the room. Thank you so much for for coming tonight. Thank you for your time and support. Good evening. Thank you. All right. um, Next item, please.
0: Item five, amendments to small business commission bylaws. This is a discussion and action item the commission will discuss and possibly take action on proposed amendments to the commission's bylaws. And just a note, this is regarding our um, switch from meeting twice a
1: month to meeting monthly and just codifying that in our bylaws. Do we need to present on this piece or did no. you just present it um, just right now? That, yeah, Yeah, that
0: summarizes it.
1: Um, Should we take any commissioner questions? Does anybody have any questions about? I mean, I I think I just have one thing, is that, um, you know, I really appreciate that our commissioners right now um, have so much, um, you know, so much passion for what you do that you do spend so much time outside of the commission meetings in your communities and in your, um, not just in your businesses, but really like within your communities and within the city advocating and doing all this work. And so, you know, I think, um, a lot of this is because I want you to be able to, you know, spend more time focused on, on those types of things and for us to be able to, um, you know, be more efficient with our, with our um, commission time. But I just really appreciate you all. So that's kind of, I don't know, I'm, I'm not making a lot of sense tonight, but <laughs> it's, it's really a recognition that you do so much outside of this time. So, And I want to encourage people to really step up to like, commissions and spend time doing these kind of things. So the commission should feel like, you know, it's a pleasure to get together and um, that we're really doing good work together when we're when we're here, so um, yeah.
2: So that's thank you, President Huey, and because of that, you reduced our workload by half. Appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> I love your leadership of the commission.
1: I think the results are like beyond, you know.
2: <laughs> hey, under your stewardship, it's the best. The best tenure so far. <laughs>
1: Uh, does anybody else have any other comments though i definitely want to be open to things if anybody feels different no? okay while well, seeing no other questions or comments um any public comment there's none seeing no public comment public comment is closed um sh- should we s- make a motion i'll move motion by
0: commissioner ortiz cartagena seconded by commissioner dickerson Commissioner Carter is absent. Commissioner Dickerson? Yes. Commissioner Gregory? Yes. Commissioner Herbert? Yes. President Huey? Yes. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena? Yes. And Vice President Zizunas is absent. Motion passes.
2: Sh- we should have told the commissioners that absent. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Item six, approval of draft meeting minutes. Discussion and action item. The commission will discuss and possibly take action to approve the June 26, 2023 draft meeting minutes.
1: Commissioners, any questions? No, seeing no questions. Any public comment? There is none. No public comment. Public comment is closed. Um, does somebody want to make a motion to approve the draft meeting minutes? I w-
7: I'm trying to give y'all another, I, 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 I will um, say my brain. <laughs> what am I going to do? You're going to make a motion. motion.
0: All right. I'm going to make a motion.
8: I'll second the
0: motion. Okay, motion by Commissioner Dickerson, seconded by Commissioner Herbert. Commissioner Carter's absent. Commissioner Dickerson? Yes. Commissioner Gregory? Yes. Commissioner Herbert? Yes. Uh, President Huey? Yes. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena? Yes. And Vice President Sazunis is absent. Motion passes. Item seven, general public comment discussion item, allowing members of the public to comment generally on matters that are within the Small Business Commission's jurisdiction but not on today's calendar and suggest new agenda items for the commission's future consideration. There are no commenters
1: in the room. Um, Any, there's no comment from us. (laughs) No commenters on the line. Public comment is closed. Next item, please.
0: Item eight: Director's report. This is a discussion item. I will um, promote our director.
15: Hi, everyone. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Hi. Oh, okay. so good to hear Hi. you. I apologize about the to meeting <laughs> today. No, um, so, a couple of. Um, uh items and updates uh wanted to share that with regards to the awning amnesty program as you recall we talked about this uh several times at this commission where in the winter of 2023 2024 approximately 200 uh, businesses had received either complaints and or notices of violation um for having awnings installed without permits and this was sparked by um Uh, It it appears to be an individual who made uh, complaints. And so we had worked with the Department of Building Inspection, Planning Department, uh, Fire, and Department of Public Works to create a more streamlined permitting process to allow people to come into compliance. And uh, this streamlined application process also means that um, you don't have to pay any permit fees um, as well as you don't need to submit... Um, formal plans as part of your permit application. And so as long as you have an existing permit, uh, sorry, an existing awning or sign, you can take advantage of this program. you need not to be a business that has received a complaint or a uh, a notice of violation. So we are encouraging uh, people to submit applications starting today and the program runs through June 1st of 2024. So um, I really wanna thank the Office of Small Business team Last week, uh, staff members went out to the neighborhoods and actually conducted outreach directly in person to the approximately 200 businesses that received a complaint and or a notice of violation and informed them about this awning amnesty program. So uh, please help spread the word. And of course, you're always welcome to direct people to our office with any questions about that. Uh, Next, with regards to the small business permitting legislation, uh, this is file 230701. Uh, This is legislation we've talked about here at the Commission several times as well. And it makes over 100 changes, actually at this point nearly 200 changes to the planning code uh, to make it easier for businesses to get their start um, here in San Francisco or to expand in San Francisco. And so I know that when Ted Egan was talking and... um, We talked a lot about the barriers to entry um, when you're a new business. We're really trying to lower that uh, through multiple means and this particular one has to do with uh, zoning. So the next step for this legislation is that it'll be heard at the Planning Commission on September 7th. So I wanted to make sure that everyone was aware of that. Um, And then after that, it would go to the Board of Supervisors Land Use Committee and then the full board. Uh, lastly, I wanted to uh, just make sure that you are all aware of the um, APEC um, leadership meeting and the CEO meeting coming to San Francisco. Um, and it's being hosted by San Francisco during the week of November 12th. Um, so this is one of the largest events that San Francisco will be holding, um, hosting in modern times. And we are expecting approximately 30,000 people. Um, from the roughly 21 um, participating economies as part of APEC. And uh, these will be heads of state, um, delegates, staff members, uh, members of the press uh, who will be in town. And one of the key responsibilities that our office um, is responsible for is really helping to uh, highlight and spotlight events that would feature our merchant corridors and small businesses so that The roughly 29,000 or more people who aren't part of all of the, uh, you know, the VIP events, for example, um, they have something to do in San Francisco while they're in town. So we've reached out to all the merchants associations, the community benefit districts, cultural districts, and so forth. uh, One, to let everyone know that APEC is coming, again, the week of November 12th. And um, if you are already planning to host events um, around that time, we highly encourage the week of November 12th. Otherwise, our office um, and thank you to Michelle from our team has been working to spotlight um, the different merchant corridors and businesses through our ShopDine SF campaign page, um, which is on sf.gov/ShopDineSF. So um, we'll also continue to stay engaged with regards to logistics. And as soon as we get more details, uh, which we do not have at this time, but as soon as we get more details around impacts, especially um, if there are, for example, road closures or things of that nature that involve or will impact a small business, we will definitely communicate that out. Um, So those are my updates for
1: today and happy to answer any questions you have. Thank you so much. um, Commissioner Ortiz-Cartena.
2: I don't have questions, director, but I, I want to commend you and carry on um, around the legislation, the the community outreach. I can attest just in my neighborhood, in my community, how many times you went back, <laughs> you created solutions. Um, and that was just my neighborhood. So I, I can only imagine citywide all the compromises, all the considerations. And you are always patient. And you got a lot of the stuff done, and, and it's been really positive in our neighborhood, or it's going to be really positive in our neighborhood. So I, I really appreciate the work. It, it, it was very heartfelt. So I appreciate you and Carrie. Um, and lastly, um, I'm super excited about APEC. You know, we do a lot of events in the mission, and we definitely want to show the world, like, this is not the Doom Loop. This is San Francisco. We definitely want to be a part of it. We want to show you low riding, good burritos, you know, some music, some dancing. So we're with it, we ready. So thank you, director.
15: Thank you so much. And you are so key to our outreach to uh, the community and the mission. So thank you so much.
1: Um, Any other questions? No, I, I think uh, there are no more questions here. Thank you so much, director, for your re- report. Oh, yeah. We'll have public comment. In <laughs> but um, yeah, I just wanted to thank you for your, for your report. And um, it's good to see you. Um, any public comment? There's none. Great. No public comment. There's com- none. OK. No public comment. Public comment is closed. Um, thank you. Thank you very much, director. Okay, next item, please.
0: Item 9, Commissioner Discussion and New Business. This is a discussion item allowing the president, vice president and commissioners to report on recent small business activities, make announcements, etc. Um
1: Commissioner or or Oh, yeah, Commissioner Ortiz cartana
2: Yeah, I I I wanted um Director Tanger Carey, if we could follow up on SF Shines, especially around um, the shared space, because through the collection nonprofit, a lot of the work we do with SF Shines grant is we get the designer to get the parklick design that we know it's going to be approved by SFMTA. So we just want to make sure that we're not applying for this grant if there's no longer any funds, because the first SF Shines, what I call 1.0, gets you an architect, and then they draft up an approved shared space, and then the second 2.0, gets you money, you know, to apply some of what is needed. And then I just want to make sure, because especially the design portion has been key for us. That was one. And then based on Ted's report today, I I, I don't know what our legislators are doing regarding, but I think if we proactively kind of ask for some legislation around commercial vacancy, and specifically a commercial vacancy tax on these class A assets, especially after these buildings are transferred, because right now they're probably going to get back to the bank. So once it's in the bank, then we should encourage and pass legislation where there's vacancy tax. Um, And also, I I wasn't able to pull it in in time, but also we should be having this vacancy tax for buildings that get reassessed right now Google meta and all the big players they're asking for 50% reductions on their assessment tax. This is public record. I, I couldn't pull it out in time. But you know, buildings that are 30 million, they're saying they're worth 15 million, and they're probably going to get the assessment based on a couple of the comps that just got sold. So if they get approved, there should be legislation where I don't know, like if you're getting that reduction, and you're having a vacancy tax, you know, you should get fined for having you're building vacant and then lastly to Commissioner Gregory how do we how do we make it this tax somehow like an incentive to San Francisco or a disincentive to the like I call them fronts straight up right you put one desk and you're walking away with a billion dollar construction gig come on like you're, you're extracting the city's wealth right and no more of that how do we like incorporate this legislation on this commercial vacancy tax where we encourage small business vacancy and also discourage this front stuff. So if me and Commissioner Gregory end up missing, you know (laughs) what happened to us. Great, Uh, I
0: believe director, uh, the director can respond to your initial question.
15: Yes, and so noted about your suggestions and we'll definitely take that into any um, Stakeholder meetings regarding business tax reform, uh, and your question about SF shines. The program is still available, and there are still funds. However, the program is uh, very oversubscribed, so there is quite a waiting list right now. Um, so, at this point, um, all I'll say is that I can't. You know, we cannot guarantee. Um, you know, if you're applying now, what your timing will be to receive the grant, whether the design or the construction, but I know we, we are having conversations about how to make that program uh, work better given the, the huge
1: demand. Um, I just, I, I've been in conversations with um, people recently who have had a lot of um, challenges with SFMTA um, construction issues. And, um, you know, I feel like I'm fielding a lot of emails from different parts of the city. Um, I'm wondering, I think there is um, interest from SFMTA's part to um, build a relationship with us, perhaps coming to the meetings uh, more regularly. I'm wondering if that is something that we can place on the agenda Um, as new items and also open it up to commissioners to kind of think about how we would like to shape um, that time that we have with SFMTA so that we can effectively kind of understand how we can work more collaboratively and um, how we can kind of think about this not just as like separate neighborhoods. I mean, we're seeing impacts that I think are... um, are happening throughout the city um and and i think it's causing a lot of um, merchant corridors um, great anxiety so i think you know if we can kind of figure out how we can kind of look at this as a larger citywide kind of conversation um, i'm not sure how to go about that just because like you know we really can't you know, we don't have a lot of um, ability to coordinate those efforts, but maybe, you know, I'm just putting that out there that, um, that I would love to have the commissioners all be a part of this because I'm pretty sure in every one of our, our um, corridors, whether you live or work there, you, you know, there's somebody impacted by this. So um, that's, oh, uh, Commissioner Gregory.
11: Yeah, just to follow up with what you were saying about SFMTA, they have a um, huge project coming up, the Petral Bus Yard, is uh, everybody aware of that project that's coming up? They're redoing the whole thing. It's going to be the bus yard on the bottom, housing on top. Um, so it would be really nice to have them here because for months and months we've been asking them what their LBE plan is and how they're going to support the um, construction and professional service uh, small businesses and yet we have not got an answer so um, yeah I would love to see them in here I know a lot of people are still complaining about them extending the meters Mm. so I'm wondering what their follow-up is on that are they listening to the communities or what so I think that's a great idea isn't it
1: yeah so I think um, maybe Carrie and Director Tang, you, you'll kind of follow up with us as to like best yes. way to, to organize that. that. Yeah. yeah, that would be great. Thank you. Um, I think that's pretty much all of my new business at this point. Um, is there any public comment? There's none. Seeing none, public comment is closed. Um, next item. Item 10, adjournment, TV, Please show the Office of Small Business slide. We will end with a reminder that the Small Business Commission is the official public forum to voice your opinions and concerns about policies that affect the economic vitality of small businesses in San Francisco. If you need assistance with the small business matter, continue to reach out to the Office of Small Business. Meetings adjourned.